0: Welcome to another episode of Postcards from Antioch, a podcast by Barton Church, looking at training, discipleship, mission, all kinds of things really. And uh, I'm James, and today we've got Nicole, and we're looking at the, well, can you trust the Bible? There's an important question, feels like a good one. Maybe this should be the first ever episode, or it should be. Uh, can you trust the bible it kind of follows on doesn't it from the session you've you've also recorded on the uh, how the bible's formed is that right yeah
1: that yeah. that is right and i've tried not to uh, repeat myself there is a few, a few yeah a few places where i do overlap um but hopefully these two should complement each other um quite nicely yeah
0: good excellent so you could do a double bill if you're listening you listen to that one and then this one is that the order they should listen to them in? That yeah, one I guess
1: so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could you could go crazy and, and do this one first. I don't think it matters too you much. You could listen
0: first. to them at the same time. Have one in oh, one yeah. in, one in the other room. That <laughs> yeah,
1: in. that's that's the optimum way of listening that's to it, definitely.
0: <laughs> as much information as possible in a short, Just short space so we i think we're going to focus primarily on the gospels the reliability of of the gospels can you trust the gospels that's that kind of makes sense because obviously jesus is important and being able to um trust what the bible teaches about jesus is is key to our faith yeah
1: yeah we have huge problems don't we if if we start yeah finding huge errors in in the gospels
0: that's right. It's a problem. Yeah. So we'll, we'll start with that and, and see how we go, see if we touch on other, other aspects of the Bible. But I guess uh, some of the things you talk about in terms of particularly the Gospels, some of the principles will apply to other sections of the Bible.
1: Yeah, definitely. And we're actually going to start, in fact, that's probably quite a good place to start. We're going to start just by thinking about like, what we look for when we're talking about how trustworthy a source is, what that means. And then those those criteria, those kind of things that we're going to be talking about, can be applied to every single part of the Bible. Um, but there are 66 books, there are 66 different historical documents, and we do not have time to go through um each and every one of them. Um, so yeah, let's use that as a jumping off point. So Let's perhaps talk about some of the the language we use, um, starting like, yeah, really basic. We use kind of language like reliability, accuracy, validity, when we're talking about trustworthiness of sources. And I guess, uh, James, just going to start off by putting you on the spot. How would you define that kind of, those kind of ideas? What sort of things are we we looking for when we talk about trustworthiness of sources?
0: Um, Well, I guess, Ken... Can we believe the things that are, are written in them? Like, if it mm-hmm. says this that happened or that happened, mm. did those things actually happen? Did that person actually say the things they mm. there? Mm. It's written down that they said. Um, have have those words been distorted or changed over time? Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe those kind of things.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we're we're kind of yeah, there's a whole list of things that we need to kind of consider, but yeah, can we can we trust it? Did these things actually happen? Um, can we trust the source as a whole? Can we trust the authorship? Um, and yeah, all of those sort of big questions. Now I do just want to um preface all of this by actually highlighting the fact that the purpose of the text plays a huge part. Um and how the text is intended to be read by the author versus how we might perceive it now. Um, I just want to take a really stupid example, but imagine that we thought Revelation was um, historical fact, like that's what they were intended to write. And so we, we look at Revelation, we look at the things that are happening where there are locusts coming out of a pit and dragons and... Um, some of the slightly more crazy things we think, oh, that was written as historical fact, and we think, well, we can easily prove that that didn't happen, and therefore we discard it. Um, and that is obviously not the right way to approach Revelation. You understand that it's 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 poetry. It's perhaps prophetic. There's a lot of allegory, different meanings, and so we the trustworthiness of it, um, the reliability of it, it has a slightly different um, emphasis on. Um, I guess whether it was written actually by the the author that it's claiming to be written by, um, how it was perceived. Those kind of questions. We don't just assume that every single book in the Bible is written as historical fact as we, um, yeah, as we understand historical fact now. Does that kind of make make sense?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I suppose um, that some of the questions are bigger than other questions. I guess we'll we'll get into this. Mm-hmm. But yeah. for example, if someone says, one of the authors says, you know, Jesus said this on a Tuesday and someone else says, Jesus said this on a Wednesday, that's not so much a big issue in terms of validity and reliability as, you know, the question of whether, whether Jesus actually said the thing in the first place, is that fair? Is yeah.
1: Yeah, that's that's completely fair. Um, And I I use the example of Revelation because it's quite a stupid one. Um, Like, it's really obvious to us, like some things we know is is poetry or, yeah, allegory. Um, But what is interesting is that the way that we view historical um, documents is very different to how Ancient times saw writing historical documents, um, and that's when it becomes a little bit more subtle. Because what we're going to um, explore slightly is that although the gospels are historical documents, they're also intended to give um, a theological argument, and so therefore they are structured not just as this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Like the authors have constructed them um, to present theological arguments. So it is, it's kind of the same, but a bit different, and we need to be aware of that when we we look at their trustworthiness um just as a, a side question i just wanted to kind of chat about the different genres we do find in the bible just so if you are going off and doing your own research um yeah into the trustworthiness just so that you have some kind of idea so james what kind of um what are the different genres that we
0: well so the, the bible has um it does have historical yes. books Mm-hmm. The books are recording history. Mm-hmm. It has uh, letters, yeah. in in the New Testament. It has uh, poetry, as you've already mentioned, mm-hmm. and uh, prophetic books, which might fall under poetry, I guess. It has uh, wisdom literature. Uh, it has uh, anything else? Uh, I I think that's that's mostly most of the genres.
1: Yeah, that's definitely it. Um some scholars actually uh put apocalyptic as a different style of literature to poetry, although there is poetry in it. Um and the other thing that kind of links back in is that actually um often the gospels are categorized as their own genre because they are historical theological. Um whereas things like 2 Chronicles, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, Kings are often seen as more um more historical, although to be honest even those have like a theological um yeah, underlying. That's an awful sentence, but a, a, a theological underlyingness. There, the,
0: the writer, the the writer, the compiler of the is trying to say something as well as just this is what happened. They're trying to. Yeah.
1: That was much up. better explained. Thank you. Oh, great. Okay, so let's just think a little bit more about the, um, the Gospels themselves. So we, you've kind of given a few examples of things we might look at, um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to separate it into external and internal evidence about what makes uh, a source trustworthy or reliable. So James, if I say external evidence to you, any ideas what sort of questions we might be looking at there?
0: So I guess that's things outside the text itself, so maybe other archaeology, other historians, um, things we know about the world at that time, uh, yeah. They, any anyone who sort of chorus, um, whatever the word is backs up the what's written, but isn't part of that writing themselves.
1: Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, so that's definitely um, a part of it. External is also the physical. Um the physical source. So you're looking at um, manuscript studies, which is called codecology, dating of paper, um, study of handwriting, which is paleography, not to be confused with paleontology, which is the study of dinosaurs, Um, which, yeah, has caused confusion in the past, Um, but you're looking at, like, is it an original, is it a copy, Um, does the document have characteristics that affect its readability, are there smears, tears, missing words, is the handwriting hard to read, Um, and honestly, like, so I did, um, oh, I did a year's worth of manuscript studies and paleography as part of my uh my master's and oh my gosh it's so hard like I have so much respect for people who study handwriting and I was looking at texts where it was like our alphabet like it was the English alphabet and I still couldn't read it like it's so difficult so people who can like read these ancient documents understand the handwriting and be like oh yeah I can date it due to that handwriting I have a lot of a lot of props for um, um, just as an aside quite.
0: Yeah, well, it's not quite like it is in the movies where Indiana Jones or Lara Croft or someone finds a, an ancient document and can read it straight away. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's it's so tedious. Like, you sit there and you're like, is that an F? Is that an S? And it, you, you sit there for hours looking at one letter and it's, I mean, you do get better. Like, I was obviously a complete novice, but um, yeah. Um, So anyway, moving on. So then we've got the internal evidence, which is is fairly self-explanatory, isn't it? It's like um, names, dates, places. Uh, Does it make sense in the context of the time? Can we trust that the author's who they say they are? And and if they are, like, if the author is correct, then, like, were they close to the event? Were they an eyewitness? Like, how did they write it? Um, Are there any other sources that back it up? I mean, there's, like, so, so many questions. questions. Um, So we're not going to be able to go through every single one, but we're going to hopefully touch on all of those elements. So let's jump into the Gospels. And I'm going to start with the external evidence. I'm going to start with a little bit of codicology, a little bit of manuscript studies. Um, So James, do you think we have an original copy of the Gospels?
0: Um, By original, do you mean like the written by the original author?
1: Luke, yeah sort of
0: luke's written mm-hmm. handwritten by His Luke. well, handwriting I'd, yeah mm-hmm. i'd probably say no i'd say we yeah. don't have original copies of of any of the gospels
1: yeah you would be absolutely correct Correct, that's not a thing <laughs> correct <laughs> <laughs> no, you can tell i didn't get much sleep last night my english Language is, is uh, It's really difficult <laughs> um Yeah so we don't have an original copy of I think any of the New Testament writings Um, and I just want to say this is not unusual like this is so standard Um, is yeah I don't know that we have any original documents of like pretty much anything in the ancient world. Um, But what we do have is like a huge number of copies. Um, And here are a few fun numbers for you. So we have more than 5,800 Greek manuscripts, although they're in fragments of the Gospels. We have um, over 10,000 Latin manuscripts and 9,300 manuscripts in other ancient languages. So we have so many copies. Um, And so I guess my question is, James, do you think Having lots and lots of copies is an advantage or a disadvantage? What do you think, um, or is it a bit of both?
0: For um, determining the validity, yeah. I, I feel like it would be an advantage, but I wonder if that's a trick question. Is, <laughs> when you ask a question like that, I'm always tempted, you know, in my nature to go, oh, "It's a bit of both." That seems like the safest thing to say. Um, I can I can think of why it would be an advantage, but mm-hmm. but. Maybe I'll say a bit of both because I feel like that's probably technically the right (laughs)
1: answer. Yeah, that. I mean, you're right. It's a bit of both. I did set you up there. Um, Why do you think it would be an advantage?
0: I think if you've got lots of of copies of something, you can compare. You've got lots of uh, material to compare with each other and spot, see where they um, maybe there are differences or not. And if you've got lots of copies and a lot of them are, are similar. You could probably make an, an assumption that there's that they're, they're reliable.
1: Yeah, that is exactly right. Um, the the downside of having lots of copies does mean that the number of textual variants, so the um, any time where the manuscripts um, differ, and that that's like um, that could be omissions of words, spelling differences, or like major major differences. Um, but yeah, if you have lots of copies, it does mean that that the number of textual variants does increase like of course it does where these are written out by hand um there's going to be differences um but it does mean that actually you can almost if you imagine a triangle like you can have the different manuscripts and you can um like place them in a way where it points to that original the point of the triangle um yeah points to that original document um And so actually what we find is that less than 1% of textual variants of differences between the manuscripts have actually uh, a meaningful challenge to the text. So most of them are like they've put an S instead of a F, I mean that's a ridiculous example or they've missed out a comma or you know they're really tiny things very few of the um the differences actually make any difference to the meaning of of the text so that's a really good thing um and it means that actually if we look at all of these copies we can be really certain about what was written in the original um and that's important to know as christians because one of the the big things that's often thrown at us is that actually how do we know that what we're reading today in our translations of the bibles is is accurate Um, is is close to the original well actually we can using all of the copies be fairly certain that what we're reading is accurate now I want to just point to um, I just want to compare the bible with other ancient sources at that time Um, and I guess my question to you James is that do you think if we're thinking about copies and textual variants, and I just have a guess here, do you think it's um, very stereotypical of of the other ancient sources that we have? Do you think perhaps it's a bit of a disadvantage from other ancient sources that we, we trust as historians? Or do you think this is a really, I don't know, yeah.
0: So comparing the Gospels to other ancient documents. Mm. Well, I would imagine we probably have more copies of the Gospels than a lot of other, ancient documents that we accept as being accurate. Yeah,
1: that is exactly right. And um, one of the things that actually slightly frustrates me is that I've heard Christians um, or some Christians say that there's more evidence for Jesus existing than there is for... caesar existing and that's not exactly true it's just that we have more copies of those original documents than um we have original copies of uh than we have copies of the original document that talks about caesar um so just because we have lots more copies doesn't mean we have more evidence um but what is crazy is that we do have so many more copies than than other um than other big ancient sources. So, just to give you an example, there's a first century document called the Jewish War um, by Josephus, who I did mention in the last um, the last podcast. He's a really important writer. Um, he's a historian, and we we yeah rely on his writings a lot. And he um, his work survives only in nine manuscripts, which dates to the fifth century um, BCE. No that's definitely that not right kidding. the 5th century ce yeah. um so ad 500 uh, which is 4 centuries after they've written um our copies date to like just a couple of a couple of 100 years like this, this is our our copies are so much closer to the original than um of the gospel. we have yeah yeah um and the same we've got like um uh, Tacitus's annals of imperial rome are uh, Again, really, really important. They're one of the chief sources of information in the Roman um, world, but we only have two manuscripts, two copies, which date from the Middle Ages. That's like f- fifteen hundred years after when they were written, um, and and I, you know, there's loads of examples of this where the copies we have are so much later than the originals, and we have only a couple of manuscripts to be able to to compare and try and find the original text. And what is really interesting is that that's that's enough for historians and scholars in in those cases. Like they trust these sources. I mean, not completely. You know, we're a skeptical bunch of historians, but um, you know, those texts are given a lot more um, credit, I guess, that they're trusted. And yet, the the gospels that are written only a couple of hundred years, well that the copies are written only a hundred years, a couple of hundred years after the originals are, I guess we kind of scorn and like, oh, can we trust these copies? Like, do they match up? Um, Actually, if we're using the same criteria that we use for other historical documents, then um, yeah, we can trust the copies. We can trust that we know what the original um, manuscript says. Does that make sense? It does get a little bit complicated, but yeah.
0: yeah. that, That makes sense to me.
1: Okay, excellent. Um so I just wanna highlight one really important manuscript, which is the John Ryland fragment. And this is um generally held to be the oldest surviving fragment from a manuscript of the New Testament. Uh, James, I'm assuming I'm assuming you've heard of the John Ryland fragment. Maybe you haven't. I, I, I just I, assume all, no, all Christians know.
0: No, I I may have heard of it at some point in the past, but obviously. My brain said that's not important. You don't you do not need to remember <laughs> No one's ever going to ask you about the John Ryan no. manuscript. So let's so no, um, I think is the honest answer.
1: Wow, well, okay, so it is the size of a credit card. It's a tiny little fragment of a manuscript. Um, and it's it's of John's gospel. And it's thought to be dated to around 125 um AD. It's a bit under debate um, it was dated using paleography using handwriting uh, study so it's not like the most accurate um, way of dating um, but we yeah we can date it to around 120 AD and what is really interesting and really important about this fragment is that uh, we know that John's gospel was written last um, and is being quoted by other sources in the second century, so we can date it to around ninety AD. So the f- and the, we can also use that fragment to to kind of corroborate to to confirm that dating of ninety AD. So this this fragment is really really important. It's the it's the oldest one we've got, and um, yeah, helps us put John. Um, as being written the original being written in in 90 AD which is only 60 years after the events um so that's a pretty cool thing and a pretty important thing um for us as Christians. It,
0: John was, was written last and obviously that means the others Matthew Mark and Luke were written before 90 AD.
1: Exactly <laughs> well done Jeff. you me. <laughs> yeah um So they're written kind of after Paul's letters um, and Paul dies in um 64 67 i'm so sorry there's so many dates in this it's really hard to talk about this without mentioning just like hundreds of dates um but yeah so paul dies in 64 67 so obviously another one here for you james his letters were going to be written before that um and so we can i know i know <laughs> madness we can date the the other gospels matthew mark and luke somewhere between 90 and yeah, 67. Um, ad
0: can, can i ask you a question at this point okay oh dear, this yeah. question i have um i it, it just i'm interested on your thoughts so mm. i'm one of the so is it possible that any of the gospels the first part any of them were written before paul died do you think
1: when you see so hang on, let me just check i understand your question the gospel as a whole so like as a whole document written before paul died
0: Well, I'll tell you why I'm asking, and then Mm. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm not looking for a definitive historical answer, Mm. but uh, it's just uh, perhaps your opinion. Like, obviously, Luke wrote a gospel, and then he wrote Acts, Mm -hmm. and Acts ends with Paul in prison in Rome, Mm. and I kind of wonder if he, if that had been written after Paul died, maybe Luke would have mentioned Paul's death at the end of Acts. But he doesn't. So I wonder if Acts was written before Paul died, which would then mean that probably Luke was written before Acts before Paul died. Yeah, I, I, so
1: think, is that, I think
0: So yeah, so that's my question: Is it possible that the gospels are actually earlier than sixty the the original gospels? And and Luke, um, I don't know if you're gonna, you you may have talked on, on this. Mm. Uh, mm, we we might talk on this, like Luke. Is generally thought to have been written after Mark, certainly. Mm-hmm. But, um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So, anyway, I'm just interested in your opinion. Really, do you think it's possible that any of the Gospels could have been written before 65 AD?
1: Yeah. To be honest, I I do think it is possible. Um, I yeah, that makes sense. And, and but yeah, especially because Paul's death is not mentioned in Acts. Um, my understanding is that. W- parts of the work was written but perhaps it wasn't compiled as like a a finished thing that's why I was kind of asking about whether you mean the document as a whole um I'm yeah I'm not 100% sure on that but that is kind of my understanding um I do think it is possible yeah definitely um and what is interesting and we said this in the in the last podcast is that actually the gospels and the Paul's letters are written first and therefore um or well, not therefore, but they are assumed to be trustworthy. Like from them pretty much from the moment they're written, we have evidence that the church um accepted what was being written. And actually, eyewitnesses were still alive at that point. I mean, whether they were written before 60 or um if you know in the 70s, so um like yeah, the eyewitnesses were still alive and um yeah, and so we can, I guess, trust that they trusted them. Um, I guess the thing is, is that some of... If if Paul died in 64, 67, actually... Um, yeah, I did say that they probably written... Um, yeah, that the Gospels were written between 67 and... Um, what did I say? 19? But yeah. I. But actually, I guess the the point is, is that some of those letters would have been obviously written quite a few years before his death, um. And so I think probably what you've got is around the time that Paul is this big um. uh like. Um. I can't think of the correct word to say, but yeah, this 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 time of everybody writing it down onto paper. Mm. Um, so I, I'm not sure I would say definitely that they were written before Paul's death, but I would say it's probably very, very close, kind of tied into to all of that, yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm.
0: Thank you for that. That's thing. right. Because oh, <laughs> I think there are, I mean, there are, are plenty of, you get lots of different opinions on when the got are yeah. written. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, that Luke doesn't mention Paul's death is yeah. not some kind of silver bullet. Regards to its dating, there could be many reasons why yeah, that's totally. not that's not mentioned. But I just uh, you know that's one of the arguments I suppose I've heard for an early mm. uh, one, early dating of, of the Gospels, and I was interested in in your thoughts on that kind yeah,
1: of thing. Thank you. <laughs> that's cool. I'm going to actually pick up on one of the things you said about the idea that Luke uses Mark, um, and actually. Yep, you're completely right. Luke and Matthew both, it's thought, use Mark because um, Mark's, the content of Mark appears in, pretty much in whole, like scattered amongst M- Matthew and Luke. And so, yeah, there's very strong evidence that, that Matthew and Luke could see Mark, yeah. Um, Mark's gospel, and um, did use it. There's also evidence that um, there was this other document which they've very imaginatively entitled Q, um, and the idea was is that Q was like a um, a document that had that recorded lots of Jesus's teachings, and and Matthew, Mark, and Luke have all got access to this document that we now don't have, and have used that to to kind of complement their, um, well, yeah, to construct their their gospels I think I'm not going to go into it too much because I did talk about it in the in the other podcast but also the importance of um having an oral tradition and stories passed down verbally um, was also really key Luke uses loads of eyewitnesses and he seems to really go out of his way to try and construct a historical um, account um, but yeah I'm not going to touch on that too much because I, I have already spoken about it but yeah, you've kind of got this amalgamation of different sources coming in, them kind of using each other, and um, so yeah, definitely I think part of the Gospels would have been written earlier, but then you've got this, that the finalised documents are kind of written and, and sent out, um, yeah, I reckon probably slightly after Paul's death, but it could be before, I you know, but...
0: But, that's an interesting that. point you mentioned about Luke, because I remember obviously Luke starts his gospel by essentially saying, "Look, I've I've checked all this out. I've I've mm-hmm. done my mm-hmm. research, and this is yeah. this is what I've found." And it's quite interesting, I suppose. I feel like um, it, maybe we should give Luke the benefit of the doubt and assume he's a decent historian, and he. Is closer to the events than we are. So when he says, look, I've done my research and this is what I found, maybe we should say, okay, well, that's all right then. We'll accept that.
1: Yeah, I think to an extent.
0: Definitely, I mean that's my no. bias coming into yeah. <laughs> 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 Um
1: yeah, Luke, I I really love Luke's gospel for that reason because yeah, he's a physician, he um is educated and he sets out, he's very clear, this is what I'm setting out to do. Um, I'm setting out to to give you a, I uh, can't remember the words he uses, but it's an accurate, basically an accurate account so that you can have certainty in your faith. And um, yes, yeah, so he's bold about that. He talks about using eyewitnesses and other sources to compile this. And actually, he is very for the most part accurate now there are a few things that problems that do arise um i know the the census is in at the beginning is it's largely debated because we don't have a record of it outside of luke's gospel um and so yeah there are elements in in luke's gospel that historians um yeah will debate whether that is historically accurate or not um but for the most part it it is very, very accurate. And in fact, actually, we can see that he's clearly writing the his gospel to show the context of the Roman, like within the context of the Roman world, um, including, you know, different governors and um, political figures that can be backed up with history. So actually, for the most part, um, it seems incredibly trustworthy, um, which does then lead, um, yeah, give, I guess, credit, give credence to his claims about the census because he's so accurate about everything else we might not have the evidence for it but that doesn't mean it doesn't didn't happen like this that could be the you know luke's gospel could be the evidence for that Mm. census so yeah it's um he's a really interesting one i i really love luke's gospel
0: yeah that that is tricky that is Mm. is because you would expect there to be a record of something like a, a census but
1: yeah yeah it is it is a really it is a really tough one and it is very largely debated. Um yeah, I've I've done a little bit of research into it, but like not enough to feel like I have a definite answer to it. But I know I guess I'm reassured by the fact that there are enough biblical scholars who think it could have happened. Um it's that kind of like, oh, they're they're clever. So and they say that, so I'm just gonna trust that there is evidence. Um it could have happened or that it doesn't completely discredit luke's gospel Mm. which is a bit of a wishy-washy answer i know (laughs) if you're somebody who's like i need i need to know every single area but people spend their lives studying like the historical accuracy um so yeah
0: yeah and there's always going to be questions aren't there because we're dealing with some you know 2000 year old Mm -hmm. events Uh, there was no internet apparently i i just found out
1: yeah, you're, you're that right so, that was... you
0: know, There's no, record. mind you, if if in the future people try and assess what was going on historically through what was posted on the internet in 2020, oh 2021, oh who yeah. knows what historians will make of of our time.
1: Yeah. And I I do just have like images of like history classes in like a thousand years and they're like pulling up different memes from the internet and being like so what what is the political significance of this meme and it's you know. Um yeah. Okay, anyway. Yeah. So um I think perhaps now is a good time to point out that there is there is extra like there are other sources outside of the Bible that do corroborate with with what we see in the gospels. Um and this is just um yeah this is great to know um so for example um excavations like archaeology excavations in Jerusalem have given evidence for places mentioned in the gospels um and a really uh famous example of this is in John in I think it's chapter five um he talks about the healing pool by the temple um specifically mentioning that it has five colonnades five like pillars and for years and years and years this was used to to discredit John's gospel because we had no evidence that a healing pool existed by the temple. And, um, yeah. So scholars just were like, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about, but actually in the late 19th century, they found a pool and it had five colonnades. Um, and the, the, this is even more um important because the temple as I'm sure you will know James was destroyed in 70AD and so it's really unlikely that anyone but an inhabitant like someone who lives in Jerusalem would have would have known about the temple and known specifically about the five colonnades I honestly scholars love love those five colonnades um but it, it just gives credit to to the the author and that I mean obviously doesn't prove that John um mm knew Jesus it doesn't prove that Jesus rose from the dead but it does tell us that the person who wrote this like it fits like he lived in Jerusalem he knows these things like he um he was a contemporary of of Christ um so just kind of backs it up a little bit um and like actually John's gospel is is a really interesting one because it's written a bit differently, isn't it? It's a bit, um, it's a bit weird. Um, I quite enjoy it, but it is is—it's a very different kind of account to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who are quite an obviously historical, although with a theological um, background. John is a lot more like, um, yeah, concerned with Jesus's teachings than giving Jesus did this, then Jesus did that. Um, and so it's been kind of, um, talked about as not a very historical, historically accurate document. But actually, what is really interesting that a um, lot of material within um, the Jewish culture, so other ancient writings um, about Judaism at that time, does show that he, he did know what he was talking about. Um, so, yeah, different elements like um, Nicodemus, is, the family that Nicodemus, Nicodemus belongs to is backed up in other um, ancient sources. Um, the idea of Ananias um, as, as the high priest being considered to hold the office um, as, of high priest um, again is, is backed up in other sources. You know, there's lots of little little things that just kind of yeah again by themselves don't prove that his, that John is a historically accurate document, but they're so interwoven that you think okay, well that's that's accurate and that's accurate. Like you begin to get quite a, the picture of a trustworthy source um yeah if that that will make sense excellent mm.
0: yeah it does so there, there's lots of little things historical and archaeological things that um as you say suggest that there's we can trust the author the, the authors of the gospel's new were contemporaries of of the period and and kind of knew their stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. And actually, I am going to completely jump back because this is a point that I think is really important to, to talk about, but I completely forgot to mention it. Is that does it matter if the gospels? Um, bearing in mind that we know from these little these little um, little bits of evidence that the the authors were probably familiar with Jerusalem and, and, Jesus, um, do we, do we, does it matter that they, the gospels were written, yeah, potentially 30 to 60 years after Jesus's death? Because I've heard it said a lot that that's a really long time, people forget, um, yeah, does, does that, does that matter? cool that was a complicated question
0: <laughs> to well i'd, I'd yeah it, i'd say no it doesn't matter to me i think because i think mm. um it's not actually that long in terms of the ancient near east and as you've mentioned already the strong oral tradition because obviously again there was no internet there was no you know even things like reading and writing were were mm, hard yeah. hard work harder work than than now so there was a great emphasis on remembering and passing on stories and and so on and so it it, and again like like you said even 30 years 30 years or so still it's still in the lifetime of people who are actually there so if you start going around writing down things that are not accurate someone is going to say well hang on Mm. um i was there and that that didn't happen at all or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that is. You would, you is
1: would exactly assume, right. Anyway. Um, and as you said, yeah, like, as we've talked about, mm. there was an oral tradition that these documents were being kind of compiled over the those years. So it wasn't like somebody thought, oh, 60 years ago, Jesus died. I should probably write about that. Now, what can I possibly remember? Actually, that, you know, they're pulling on all of these different sources. And so, if anything, I want to say they're almost more trustworthy because they are. Um, they've got hindsight and yeah the ability to use different sources rather than writing it really close to the event and only having one point of view or um, yeah I'm not sure how much that argument would hold up but I do think it's an, an interesting thing to, to consider. Um, okay so one last thing I guess that I really want to chat about is a phrase called cultural dissimilarity Um, and I Yeah, I love that phrase, but basically it just means that the ideas that are presented in the Gospels are just so dissimilar, so out there for the culture, that to make them up completely is like we're talking about they just wrote a complete fiction at that at that point like the, no one would have taken this seriously um can you think i d- i don't know if you've if you looked at this at all james but do you know any examples of things in the gospel that would have been just completely out there for the culture of of the time
0: well i think yeah. the, the idea of resurrection certainly would have uh, in in when well, in greek thought and in jewish the idea of resurrection yeah. was a crazy one. Like it was, as like you say, it's not if you're going to make up a religion, <laughs> you pick something believable, you kind of, yeah, need
1: be,
0: yeah, you need yeah. to, yeah, that's standard. exactly right. Sure. And N. T.,
1: I, I don't know if this is what you're referring to, but NT Wright does has a brilliant book on, um, called the resurrection, the resurrection of the Son of God. Um, and it's quite academic, but it is a brilliant discussion of how yeah the this idea of resurrection was just so out there for this culture it wasn't believable um so that's definitely one um another one is is jesus being portrayed as the messiah and the the jewish expectations of the messiah was very different they were expecting a warrior king um, and he really wasn't supposed to die and um, that was not something that was thought about in in jewish traditions at all um and crucifixion was the most shameful way of of being killed like it was it was um it was horrible it was torture but it was shameful it was um what was done to to criminals to dirty unclean people and so there was a huge amount of humiliation and shame that actually um it's a bit mad that the disciples chose to publicize it that their messiah their king not only had been killed but he'd been like killed in the most shameful horrific way and so that is again another one of those things where you think if you're going to make something up like make it vaguely believable like I mean it's just not
0: uh, and I also I just thought as well I don't know if you're going to mention this but I also have heard that the gospels uh, there's oh, yeah. a lot there are a lot of women in the gospels mm. and a lot of women giving sort of uh, and Luke obviously as you said Luke spoke to people and when you look at the resurrection the 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 the, the people the first people to witness it were, were women and that again that was not something if you wanted to be taken seriously you didn't have your your witnesses be women yeah, that's exactly in, in right that I wasn't I'm gonna mention it but
1: yeah that's another brilliant point um yeah they did not trust the women um it's yeah very countercultural and I think I guess the last thing that is, it's kind of obvious because it's mentioned in the gospels themselves. But is the fact that Jesus claimed to be God, like, and we we know that's countercultural because in the gospels, it's you know it's the reason that they they kill like the Jewish leaders want to kill him in the end is because he's claiming to be the son of God, and that is so um, blasphemous in in that Jewish tradition. And so the fact that these Jewish these, yeah, these Jewish men and women started to believe that, that Jesus was God, um, something changed, you know, that this is, this is again, unprecedented, um, to use that horrible, horrible word that we've heard so much of in the last year. Um, but it is, it's unprecedented. Something is very dramatic has changed their mind to believe these, these things that are highly blasphemous. And we know that, um, Jesus was considered divine from like pretty much after his his resurrection, like, um, in between, um, thirty CE, so when, yeah, when Jesus dies, and and the letter to the Philippians, um, hymns are already springing up because we see Paul quote a hymn that talks about Jesus being God in Philippians. So within those twenty years, people are believing that a man is a god. Um, which I think sometimes we kind of think, oh, it's the past. Like they believed that people were gods all the time, but they didn't. Like they were. Yeah, there were definitely different religious views and and maybe some, you know, things that we look back and we think oh how did you believe that? But they were they weren't idiots, you know. Like these are just ordinary people who are convinced. Um and something's convinced them in the same way that, you know, we experience God and and we're convinced in reading these texts that Jesus was um yeah, the son of God. It
0: it was reasonably common I think I'd gather for like emperors Roman emperors and so on to claim elements of divinity but what my understanding is that the average person in the street knew it was didn't really believe that it was just uh you know it's just what emperors did and
1: yeah that that would be my understanding of it as well I don't I don't think um yeah I don't think or rather I think that the emperor's claiming to be God is more about their power and their status um, than actually humans believing that they were divine incarnations. Um, yeah, in the same way, actually, that a lot of like the Greek mythology um, that we we hear about today wasn't even necessarily believed back then. Like, yeah, you did offer your sacrifices to different um, gods' powers, but you didn't, you didn't necessarily believe the the stories to be historically historical fact um i've been uh yeah reading through stephen frey's uh, stephen froy it's not a person stephen fry's um like retellings of the the different mythologies and they're absolutely brilliant so do yeah do you have a, a listen um although obviously he comes at it from a quite a faith you know he's quite um anti-faith but um yeah he makes a really interesting point that they they probably didn't, they enjoyed the stories, but it wasn't like they believed them um, in the same way, I guess. That in a yeah, completely different way, we're seeing people here believe that a man is is God. Um, so it does seem quite countercultural. Yeah. Um, I mean, we can we can talk more and more and more about the the gospels. Um, I've kind of given us uh a bit of an overview. as There's just so much to talk about. Like, there's so much to to look into. I was just wondering, James, whether it's worth just mentioning a little bit about the Old Testament.
0: Um, um Yeah, if you've got, maybe in a, a minute or two, if you could just touch on the Old Testament, because obviously we've talked about the importance of the Gospels, but there's a lot more going on in, in the Bible than the Gospels. And the, the Old Testament... Or the jewish scriptures were obviously that was the bible for the early church they didn't have the new testament or as we have it so um and those were the the scriptures that that shaped jesus as well so maybe yeah it'd be good to to spend to mention uh something similar about yeah i think those old testament um, books
1: i do agree and i would definitely advise people to go away and and read more about them um i would also just point again to what we spoke about in the last um the podcast or my last podcast anyway um about the idea that the the old testament the hebrew bible wasn't again necessarily compiled by one person writing down um like each each book that actually the books in the in the hebrew bible were often compiled added to um constructed from earlier documents um, so again that's something that's really really important to remember um but i do just want to point out that actually again we've got archaeological evidence um because hopefully obviously you might realize that there's going to be less written stuff um existing about the hebrew bible um, obviously the further back in time we go the less um yeah literary evidence we have and the more we have to rely on archaeology um and there's yeah a whole list of things if you look into it a little bit you start to find that there's um loads of things in archaeology that back it up so for example genesis puts the cradle of civilization in the correct place um in that mesopotamia area that's that's backed up by archaeology that is what um yeah archaeologist scholars believe that they they think there's evidence for. civilization starting there um you see abraham's covenants being really similar to other um covenants of those times but this is in the the middle bronze age and um, whole works have been done on looking at um those bits of evidence that we have of of uh, treaties and covenants between kings and vassals um, and that's similar to Abraham's covenant but also similar to the covenant that God makes with Israel. Um, A really cool one that I think is very interesting is that archaeology discovers that um, Sodom was destroyed by a cosmic airburst uh, which is kind of pretty much what Genesis says. Really, really cool. Um, so yes, yeah, so there's a whole bit of of archaeology, and then of course you can't talk about the Hebrew Bible without mentioning the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, which were yeah a hugely important finding back in 1946. Um, yeah, a couple of shepherds found them in a cave in jars, and it is literally um, yeah a collection of of scrolls. They um, yeah, they're they're from I think the second century BC, and basically, um, they their discovery demonstrates that the the accuracy of the Hebrew Bible that was transmitted. So, um, before we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, the the earliest texts we had um, dated, sorry, the oldest, so like the the oldest texts we had dated to the tenth century. Um, CE. So that's like a long time after they were they were written, they were produced. So there's this huge gap where we think, oh my gosh, that's like yeah, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. We don't have any copies. Like, can we? If you think back to what we talked about at the beginning, can we trust that? Um, yeah, that what we've got here is is actually what was originally written. And the the these manuscripts if you remember they were dated to the second century. BCE, say so like like um, BC before Christ. So that's like yeah, um, yeah, so much time, so much closer.
0: Yeah, and they what, what was in those the, yeah, the Dead exactly. Sea Scrolls matched what we had been using. Yeah, that the, is exactly first, right. Century, so yeah. It's
1: very reasonable now to believe that the the current Old Testament texts that we we read today are reliable copies of of what was originally being used. Um, and that is a very yeah that's a great thing to know <laughs> that it hasn't been changed that that transmission has been yeah intact mm.
0: that's that's amazing people yeah. people copying these documents for hundreds of years by hand mm. because it was yeah, important it is absolutely amazing do and I,
1: I do think it really points <laughs> as um we spoke about again sorry i keep referencing this last podcast so james i don't even think you've heard i think you're probably like what is she on about um <laughs> but again i just Good think else, it points to the me, way that yeah. god has used humans and like i used human agency to to preserve his word like um i just think it's such an amazing uh privilege that he's partnered with humans to to do it in this way and i i think yeah the the um dedicated uh followers of of christ of of um yeah, the dedicated uh, Jewish scholars who've, who've copied these documents to preserve God's word over the years is, is absolutely amazing.
0: OK, well, that sounds like a, a good point to, to finish. And uh, long may God continue to work with us, to use us to, to mm-hmm. preserve his, his kingdom and Amen. his vision of, of what the world should be. Thank you, Nicole, for sharing. Well, that's very interesting, and maybe I feel like maybe uh, it might be worth talking yeah, about whether we do another session so, on this. There's so if much there's on it. To to talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's for the future. So, mm-hmm. thank thank you anyway for that, Nicole. Thanks for listening, um, you guys out there, and uh, hope you'll stick with us for an- another session of something. And uh, yeah, go away and and think, and read, read some of the books Nicole's mentioned and think about the Bible that we read, how we can trust it and it's reliable.